So listen as I read from the prophet Joel, chapter 2, verse 28. It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. Now we're familiar with that passage because it's referred to in Acts 2 and parts of it in other parts of the New Testament. But we don't often read on in Joel to what happens after that. Israel was in disarray at the time, and Joel was preaching to a people who were very, very um, downtrodden. They had uh, been judged by God. They were uh, living the consequences of their sin. Their children had been abducted and carried off into neighboring countries where they were kept as slaves. And Joel is speaking to God's people and telling them that there is something going to happen. God is going to do something for them. There will be a good day coming when he will pour out his spirit. And he goes on in chapter 3 and he talks about more about what will happen. And he actually brings up at that point judgment happening. In chapter 3, verse 9, he says, Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare a war. Rouse the mighty men. Let all the soldiers draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a mighty man. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down, O Lord, your mighty ones. Let the nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all of the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle. For the harvest is ripe. Come, tread, for the wine press is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. I will pour out my spirit on all men. Judgment will come. The valley of decision. I'll gather the nations and I will judge them. The pouring out of the Spirit is a prelude to a war. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. God says He will pour out His Spirit on all mankind. And this is an expansion of the Holy Spirit's outpouring as understood by the Israelites, as understood by His people. All mankind means more than just the prophets and the leaders, the kings, certain judges. There's something more that's being said will come. Some expansion. And Jesus understood this as He was speaking, or was trying to explain this to His disciples as He was speaking to them in John chapter 7. He spoke to them about the Holy Spirit coming 
But in verse 39, it says he spoke this of the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So the Holy Spirit hadn't come. But was there no Holy Spirit up to that time? Had the Holy Spirit not worked and done things on earth up to that time? Certainly he had. There are some people who are very radical and will tell you that the Holy Spirit didn't dwell in the people of the Old Testament because there weren't any Christians, and that's what you call wrong. And then there are some people who will tell you that, uh, that there's essentially no difference between the activity of the Holy Spirit between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and that's also what we call wrong. And I don't want to spend a lot of time today going into the problems with those two things. I just want to, I'm going to read something from a theologian named Matthew Henry. Now, how many of you have heard us reference Matthew Henry here before? How many of you know very clearly who he was and when he lived and what he did? I thought so. So I'm going to tell you, because I think it'll be interesting for you to know. It's good for you to know who these people are. That we, that we talk about. Matthew Henry lived in England in the late 16 and early 1700s. He was the son of an Anglican preacher who was ousted from the Church of England with about 2,000 other men in the great, was it called the Great Ejection? Is that what it was called? And it was because the Church of England had codified worship and said that they had to use the book of prayer. There were some other things that they were being forced to do, and the men said no. This isn't how uh, the worship of God should be. It shouldn't be run by the state. It shouldn't be set up by the state. And so about 2,000 of them lost their positions. And Matthew Henry's father was one of the men who lost his position. But it was, he was fortunate enough to be a man who had enough money to be able to send his son for an education. And so Matthew Henry studied to become a pastor. And he ended up becoming a pastor in a Presbyterian church. He wrote a complete exegetical commentary on the Bible that it's still understood to be one of the best resources available to aid Christians today. And this is a long time ago. And it's really good. And if you want to know how people have depended on Matthew Henry through the years to help them in understanding the Scripture, how many of you know who George Whitfield was? Anybody know who George Whitfield was? He was the preacher that was the main the main uh, evangelist preacher in the Great Awakening in England, shortly after Matthew Henry lived. And George Whitfield and the men who preached with him through the power of the Holy Spirit were responsible for the greatest transformation of any nation just about that you could imagine after the book of Acts. It was just amazing what happened in England. The country was going down the tubes, literally going down the tubes. And God interrupted that by preaching through men like George Whitfield. And George Whitfield, when he would prepare to preach, you know what he would do? Just about every day he'd have his Bible. He would preach sometimes six times a day. Just about every day he'd have his Bible, I think his Greek New Testament, and Matthew Henry's commentary on the Scriptures. And that's what he would use to study to get ready to preach. So does that help you understand who Matthew Henry is a little bit? Okay, try to remember that and log it. If you're like me, you'll forget it. Maybe somebody will tell you again later. 
Matthew Henry, in commenting on Jesus, saying to the disciples, speaking about the Holy Spirit that had not yet been given to them, said, This, therefore, must be understood of the eminent, plentiful, and general effusion of the Spirit which was promised. And so there's more, something different of the Spirit generally that's promised. He goes on to say that the reason why the Holy Spirit was not given because Jesus was not glorified First, the death of Christ is sometimes called his glorification, for in his cross he conquered and triumphed. Now the gift of the Holy Ghost was purchased by the blood of Christ. This was the valuable consideration upon which the grant was grounded, and therefore being this price, therefore till this price was paid, though many other gifts were bestowed upon, upon its being secured to be paid, the Holy Ghost was not given. So in other words, Jesus was to do the work of purchasing the Spirit. Okay? Secondly, there was not so much need of the Holy Spirit while Christ himself was here on earth. Do you remember him telling his disciples, uh, you don't need him now, but when I go away from you, you're going to need somebody to be with you, and I'm going to send somebody. That's my paraphrase. Third, the giving of the Holy Ghost was in was to be both an answer to Christ's intercession when he prayed for his people in John 14 and an act of his dominion. And therefore, till he is glorified and enters upon both of these, the Holy Ghost is not given. Fourth, the conversion of the Gentiles was the glorifying of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit was going to be given to all the Gentiles. So you see how helpful Matthew Henry is in helping you to understand very quickly the reasons why this special giving of the Holy Spirit hadn't happened yet, according to God's economy. And so we, we get a little understanding of Jesus as he's talking again in John 14, and he says, um, he's telling his disciples about the Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. So it hadn't happened yet. There was something that hadn't happened This is the Spirit that God was sending. Luke records Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit at the end of the book of Luke and at the beginning of the book of Acts. Jesus speaking to the disciples about the Holy Spirit in both of these records, and he says it a little different ways at the time. At the end of the book of Luke, he says, But And behold, Jesus says, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he's referring to the Holy Spirit being poured out on them. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, it says, uh, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given suggestions to the apostles whom he had chosen. You know what it says there? Does it say suggestions? Orders. It says he gave orders. After he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen, to these 
He also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white, in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So they, so they went and they waited and they prayed. What do you think they expected? What did they expect? They hadn't had the Holy Spirit in them yet. What did they expect? They went, they waited, they prayed. What were they expecting? You know, up until this point, if you've read much about the disciples, you know one thing about them. They almost always get it wrong. Right? If you know much about them, you know they almost always get it wrong. So they were expecting something. And guess what? The Bible says they had it wrong. And where is that indicated? Well, it's indicated in the passage I just read in, cha- in chapter, or in verse uh, 6 of chapter 1 of the book of Acts. So when they had come together, he had told them about the Holy Spirit. When they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? It's like a broken record with these guys. They're always trying to figure out when the kingdom's going to be restored. Who's going to be the best of them in the kingdom? Where they get to sit at the king table? All these kinds of things is all they're doing all the time. And here it is. They've seen Jesus murdered. They have fled in fear when he was arrested. They had waited while, the, while his body laid in the tomb. They had seen his resurrection. He was there with them, raised from the dead. And they still didn't get it. They still didn't get it. When are you going to make us, when are you going to put the kingdom together? When are we going to whoop up on the Romans? When's it going to happen? Is it going to happen soon? Now can we do this? We've been waiting a long time. And then we have day 50. Then we have the account of Pentecost. And what happens? They're together in one place. And I tend to think it may be more public than we imagine in our minds because of the fact that as they're experiencing what's going on, people can see it and hear them and kind of gather around them. So just consider that. Maybe it wasn't the upper room at this point. They were together in one place. There came from heaven a sound a noise like a violent rushing wind it filled the whole house where they're sitting. They appeared 
tongues of fire distributing themselves. They rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And then what? They must have, like, spilled out of the house because suddenly people start thronging around them, right? Everybody hears them glorifying God in their own language, their own local dialects. They're hearing the men glorifying God, and they're saying, what is this? It's a miracle. It's amazing. How can this be? Other ones are saying, oh, they must be drunk with wine. And Peter says, no, we don't drink. No, it's only the third hour of the day. Is that nine o'clock in the morning? It's only nine in the morning. Crazy. This is what Joel said would happen. And then he preaches the sermon. And he confesses Jesus to them. And they repent of their sins. And then God restored the kingdom to Israel. No. But you know what? They didn't care anymore. They finally got it. They didn't care. That's all they cared about until the Holy Spirit came. And then when the Holy Spirit came, they didn't care anymore. It's like Jesus, if you read through the, the uh, Gospels and read about Jesus teaching His disciples about the kingdom of God, how many times do you think He talks about the kingdom of God and explains to them the, the qualities and the characteristics of the kingdom of God over and over and over and over and over again? And they say, now can we whoop up on the Romans? But when the Holy Spirit comes, everything Jesus said seems to just kind of, whoosh, it's all open. It's like the curtain's drawn back. We understand everything, and there's no more talk about whooping up on the Romans. These men, don't, they don't do it anymore. But they still talk about the kingdom of God. They still talk about the kingdom of God. It wasn't what they were expecting. After they received the Holy Spirit, then they understood. And, of course, then we have Paul coming along and saying... Uh, in 1 Corinthians, I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the... What? Flesh and blood cannot inherit the... Kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. They had been promised the Holy Spirit. They had an idea about what He would provide to them. Jesus had told them that the Spirit would comfort them. He would bring to mind everything that He had taught to them, that He would lead them to all truth, that He would give them power over sin, that He would give them power to be witnesses to Him, that, they would, that He would make them spiritually fruitful. The Holy Spirit was given. Jesus' promises were fulfilled. But the men did not take on the Romans. They started grasping the kingdom of God in the way that Jesus says it is grasped by violent men, taking it by force. But it's a kingdom not of this world. And that's Pentecost. And that's day 50. Now, we're many years removed from that 120 or so being gathered in the, in the house. What do we expect on day 50. What do we expect Pentecost to be? What do we expect from the Holy Spirit? 
And if you know that I'm trying to be tricky, you're saying, I get you, Max. I got you. Or David, or whatever you call me. I get you. You're trying to say we're like the disciples. You're trying to say we're like them, that we expect the wrong thing. And I'm saying, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. You expect the wrong thing, as do I. We expect all kinds of things from the Holy Spirit. We expect that the Holy Spirit is going to perfect our theological system so that we're going to have the theology. And so we walk around these uh, brainiac theologians. We get on the, 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 what do they call those things? Blogs. We get on the blogs, on the, uh, the uh, Reformed God blogs, and we put our comments in, and we work at it, don't we? We work at it. We're going to show them that we know the Scriptures, that we know the truth, that, we're, that our doctrine is in a row. Look at that nice row of doctrine. And they will honor us because that's why God gave us the Holy Spirit. So that people could respect us because of our good doctrine and give us good honor, right? Isn't that why? I do it. How do you tell the difference between the person who writes something on the Internet that's writing with some kind of influence of the Holy Spirit and the person who's just doing that. How do you tell the difference? You can tell. Probably for many of you, it's a matter of just this sickness if you don't think of it consciously. There's just some, with some things you read, there's just kind of, oh, it's all true. It's, you know, it's said so well, it's almost poetic. And you just are sick in your heart, you think. I don't sense that this, there's any love in this at all. That there's any love for people, that there's any pastoral concern in the heart of the person who's writing this at all. And then somebody else might write something on the, on the comments and it'll be stumbling and faltering and, you know, bad grammar. And you'll read it and you'll say, what? That person must love somebody. I can tell they love somebody. How could you say something like that without loving somebody? God didn't give us His Holy Spirit so that people would respect us because we would be great theologians. First John says, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know we abide in Him and He in us because... He has given us of His Spirit. He has given us of His Spirit. Sometimes we expect the wrong thing from God. Sometimes we expect some kind of sign. We expect that there will be some kind of sign. So what? A sign? um, Maybe a sign we're saying to God, you know, prove to us. Show us that you're real. Prove to us. You know, give us a sign. And typically when we're saying that, we're saying, you can't do it. You can't do it. Or we want another sign. We want to speak in tongues. We want some ecstatic, 
ecstatic. Is that right? I keep wanting to say ecstatic. That that's kind of static. That's Latin static. Ecstatic. We want an ecstatic experience. And so we want to speak in tongues. We want to have an experience that's amazing. So that we can show everybody that what? That what? We're in. We're in the club. And so you have a whole denomination set up on what where you have this experience. So that shows you're in the club. We all have these little things, these little shibboleths. To, to tell people that we're in the club, that we're there. We want some kind of, uh, that's what God did. He gave his Holy Spirit so that we could have proof that he existed or that, that we could be in the in club. That's what he did. So we could show everybody we're in, we're not out anymore. And those who came to Jesus asking for a sign, Jesus says to them what? He says, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was there three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus Christ was in the grave three days And God, by his power, rose Jesus from the dead and made him alive. Do you believe it? Do you need some kind of a sign? Do I need to speak in another tongue for you? No sign will be given but the sign of Jonah. Jesus Christ, three days in the grave, resurrection, and preaching. Jonah went and preached, and the people repented. We expect comfort. We think, okay, day 50 means that God gives his Holy Spirit to comfort us. That's what Jesus says, right? He says he'll comfort us. So that means what? Well, we want comfort on the outside. So that means that God sent his spirit to make sure that the political and cultural climate was such that we would have no outside pressures bothering us. No difficulties from the outside. That's what it is. God wanted everybody to be Republicans. And that's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. We could just get the political climate correct. Then everything will be easy on us and we'll be able to, you know, uh, we can have uh, Dave. What's his name? Dave Ramsey. We're going to have Dave Ramsey 24-7 on the radio helping us along in this beautiful climate where our finances are wonderful. And, and you know, all the social things will be wonderful because 
everything's taken care of. All of the kingdom, you know, we'll get the right kingdom. That's what God wanted us to do. He wanted us to get the right political climate. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit, so that in America we could have the right political climate, and then it'll be good for us. It will be pressure. It'll be gone, right? Won't that be good? Won't that be good? But Jesus says what? Matthew 24. They will deliver you to tribulation. They will kill you. And you will be hated by some nations because of my name. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. There isn't a place, there isn't a country, there isn't a political system that can tolerate God's people. So that's, that's not the comfort he was talking about, right? We want comfort on the outside, we want comfort on the inside. We want people to tell us things we want people to say things to us. We want people to encourage us. We, want, we, we come to church and we want to hear somebody encourage us. Would you encourage me? Pastor Carell, would you please encourage me? Would you tell me about grace? Would you please encourage me? Would you tell me about grace? Would you, would you not be so preoccupied with your sins or my sins? Let's not talk about sin so much. That's a lot of sin to talk about. Let's... Let's say something encouraging. Let's talk about grace. Let's talk about, I'm sure glad there's grace. You ought to preach more about grace. Let's not forget grace. Grace, 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 grace. Tim did this one time. It was really funny. The grace, grace, grace song. Are you saved? Grace, grace. Are you sanctified? Grace, grace. Grace, grace, grace. Grace, grace, grace. Romans 8 is so annoying. <laughs> However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, well, that's all good. Sounds like grace, right? He'll give life. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Come on, pastor, say something encouraging. If you want, to, if you want encouragement, look to the cross of Jesus Christ and see the ends to which God had to go to pay for your sin. This is a demonstration of His love for you. That He would give Jesus as an atoning sacrifice for your sin. But if you don't see your sin, you're not going to see any value to the cross. 
If you don't, if you expect to see something encouraging from the cross of Christ, you better look inside and find what should be discouraging to you. We have wicked hearts. And yes, there is a cross. Praise God. We expect health and wealth. Yeah, I guess TBN's still on. I know, um, what's his name? Your best life now. He's still on, right? Pumping out the, uh, the garbage. Be wealthy. That's, what God, that's why God gave you His Holy Spirit. That's why God sent His Son into the world to die. That's why He gave you His Holy Spirit, so that you could be wealthy and have your best life. How wicked is that? We expect to be entertained. We want church to entertain us. We want God to entertain us. We, we think that God sent His Spirit so that we could be amused. Jesus says this as John's disciples are sent to him. John sends them to see, are you the one, they say. Jesus says, well, look, this is, look what you see being done here. The deaf hear, the blind get their sight, the lame walk, the dead are raised. The good news is preached to the poor. And then he turns to the crowd and he says, you know, John, he was quite a prophet. And if you can believe it, he was Elijah. But who did you go out to see anyway? Who was it you went out to see? Did you get out, go out there to see somebody dressed in soft clothing? Did you go out there to see, uh, uh, you know, somebody who's just kind of bellering out in the wilderness? And then he said, John came and he, was, he wasn't eating or drinking. And, and you said he had... Uh, uh, has a demon, and he said, I come, and I come eating and drinking. And you say, behold, a, a, a glutton and a, a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You judge everybody. You're just sitting back and being entertained and, and deciding to put your uh, approval or disapproval, however you want to do it, on everything that happens. Is that how we are? We look at church, we, look at, we go to churches, and we look, we visit, we say, Oh, you know, this church isn't very entertaining. They don't have any strobe lights. And the pastors... not dressed that good. Right? Not a very entertaining church. So we just decide, ah, God sent His Spirit to entertain me. That's what He sent for. No. On day 50, God poured out His Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit turned the disciples upside down, inside out. They were completely changed. They received an understanding of the kingdom of God. They started to prophesy. They started to speak about God's amazing deeds. They just started talking about, look at this. 
Look what God has done. Look at who He is. And they started just speaking out. And not only that, the Holy Spirit enabled them to speak it out in a way that they were either saying it or being understood by the men there as in languages and, and uh, dialects that the men who were speaking it didn't understand. But the hearers did. And they're, whoa! You mean God's so important that He would cause men by miraculous intervention to be able to declare His importance to other men who wouldn't otherwise understand Him? That's how important He is? That's how amazing He is? Absolutely. And then there was preaching. And Peter stood up and he preached. And you know, it was an encouraging sermon. Wasn't it? Well, it was. Just the upside down to what we understand as encouraging. Because it drove every person that heard it to the cross of Jesus Christ. They knew they, their sin. They knew they were murderers. They knew they had done a great wicked, wicked thing. And they called on God to save them and forgive them. And that meant there was repentance there. Repentance. Let go of the... What, what did you have, Tim? The little silver thing? I mean, there was letting go of the sin. There was turning. There was leaving it alone. There was repentance by the power of the Holy Spirit. Transformation in the lives of people. Complete transformation in their lives. Rick Warren can have his 40 days of purpose. I just want to have one day. I want to have day 50. Okay? I want to be stuck on day 50. That's where I want to be. Every day to be the one day that God's Holy Spirit completely obliterates my worldly expectations and carries me to His kingdom. Every day where I don't live, even though I'm at war, I don't live in fear of the enemy. Every day where I have the wealth of God at my disposal, but I'm only impressed with Him. Every day where sorrow is had over my sin, and He heals me by the stripes of Christ. Every day where I see His Spirit work in me to triumph over my flesh. Every day where the only power I care about is the power that raised the righteous Jesus from the grave. Every day when I, where I thrill to hear prophecy and to speak it. That's the day we need. Day 50. Right? Church? We need day 50. And we need to pray and ask God to give us that day. To give it to us. I want to read one passage from Numbers chapter 11 in closing. This is, this is a passage about Moses where I think he's prophesying about what God will do. Speaking out of the abundance of his heart as he was a man that was so humble. And the, and the context of it is when God took Moses and the elders of Israel toward, around the tent to give of 
the spirit. Take from Moses a portion of the spirit and give it to the elders of Israel. And this is what it says. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. Also, he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and stationed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him. He took of the spirit who was upon him and placed him, that is the spirit, upon the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. They just prophesied. But they did not do it again. Those are sad words. But two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad and the name of the other was Medad. And the spirit rested on them. They were supposed to go up to the tent, but they didn't. I don't know why. It doesn't say. They were still in the camp with all the other people. The spirit rested on them. And they prophesied in the camp. And, of course, Joshua had to get all the ducks in a row. So he comes running to Moses and he says, Moses, my Lord, restrain them. They're in the camp doing it. God poured his spirit on them and they're prophesying in the camp. Stop them. And what does Moses say? Some of the most beautiful words. Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And I would make an argument to you that that was fulfilled on day 50. God brought his spirit to his people to make us all be able to be prophets and to prophesy.